Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Minor League News and Brews. My name is Craig Toth at Bucks Basement. Our regular feed is Bucks in the Basement, also writing stuff over a bunch of people over there, writing at Inside the Bucks Basement. Uh, give us a follow, have a conversation, and let's get started on some of the thoughts I've been having about the minor league system here over the past week or so, something I've been writing about uh, and something I've been thinking about is just uh, the development within the system because, I mean, the major league team is struggling off and on. So I hear a lot about, you know, making trades uh, for for players, usually a starting pitcher at this point in time, uh, just because the starting pitching, this rotation has been decimated by injuries. You have JT Brubaker, Michael Burrows. You have uh, Vince Velasquez now, Rowanzi Contreras into the bullpen. Rich Hill, 43 years old. And now we've, you know, called up, uh, we've called up uh, Osvaldo Bito uh, to kind of get him into the mix. And somebody that there was like a couple players that that people were calling for. So that's also going to be something we're talked about because I'm thinking about is anybody blocked? Is anybody being passed up? And then you'll see, if anybody's watching, you'll see the Greensboro Grasshoppers thing here because I wanted to look into uh, the theory. I know they do play in a band box, but I wanted to look at the stadiums throughout the South Atlantic League just to see how they measured up because a lot of times, even myself, I do the okay, what's the home and away splits uh, within the South Atlantic League? And, you know, how accurate is that? Uh, are we just kind of doing this like a very cut and dry, a black and white, or is, or is there a little bit of a gray area here uh, playing within the South Atlantic League? But going back to acquiring a player. So I hear people saying, well, you know, this player's blocked. So, you know, we could probably put them up for a trade. They could headline a trade. Um, and one of the names I've seen, you know, more than anybody uh, during this period of time, down in Double A, Leo Verpagero, acquired first major acquisition made by Ben Charrington for one of our star outfielders in Starling Marte, and you know, saying that you know he's we could kind of give him up because you have, you know, Castro. You have Bay, you have Marcano. Above that, you have a Nick Gonzalez. Uh, hint, hint, that's another name uh, and a player that I'm going to be talking about here in a minute. But talking about like players that are blocked and, and could be up for trades. And these are like three players that I've seen uh, the most, sorry, four players that I've seen the most as being blocked. And the first one is Leo Pagaro on fan graphs. Uh, last year was listed as the sixth best player within the Pirates farm system this year uh, prior to, you know, probably a little bit of a, a mid season shuffling of that is still listed at the beginning of the season was listed as, as number six. Uh, just looking at his numbers um, as of uh, the time of this recording uh, batting around 264, uh, 367, 432, for anybody that doesn't want to do the math there, I did it for you. The OPS uh, sitting around like a 769 has eight home runs, WRC plus uh, of just uh, above like around a 108, 
14 stolen bases, two times caught stealing. And I looked back to last year's numbers as well uh, in that department because I just kind of wanted to see how those would stack up. And it's looking like it's it's really going to come around very, fairly similar. The guy does have some speed. Uh, 28 stolen bases, six times caught stealing last year. But is this really a player? And this is something, you know, is this a player, number one, who's blocked? And, and I really think that that's kind of like a myth. And it's something that's put there, you know, when a player may not be performing as well as we would have hoped, as well as, you know, as, as well as we would have expected from him. A player in double A, second season in double A, yes, he is still young. Uh, caught, he was on fire last year at the beginning. Uh, got the cup of coffee uh, due to, I believe, like a COVID protocol type thing. And he just happened to be a little bit closer than O'Neill Cruz. So, you know, kind of got that cup of coffee and then went back down and had, you know, uh, a really, you know, bad second half of the season. And this, this season, you know, got things together um, a little bit quicker. I started off kind of slow and, and it has been building back up and has been pretty hitting pretty well. But if you're like a player that, you know, say would be trading um, even a rental player, uh, especially someone like I've seen names turn out there, like a Lucas Giolito uh, came out the White Sox today. I guess I read on MLB trade rumors said they're only going to be trading their rental players, uh, not anybody that has any type of control. So anybody that wanted to go get Dylan Cease supposedly, you know, that that might be off the table. But I even saw like a, a Michael Kopech thrown out there and that, you know, Leo Verpagero could be a guy that could headline that deal. And we talk on the other show, Chris and I, about, you know, tr- trying to trade you know, prospects before, you know, the shine is kind of gone off of the prospect. And, and is, is the shine still there uh, for a player second season in – you know, double A and is still has an OPS below 800. I really can't see that at this point in time. I mean, I think he could be part of a trade, but I mean, people I think would be looking for more. I mean, is, is this the ceiling at this point in time? I mean, when we acquired Leo Piguero, um, he was seen as one of those, you know, high risk, high ceiling prospects. And I mean, have we let the shine kind of come off of him a little bit too much for him to be a guy that could headline a deal? I think so. Um, It's not saying he's, you know, a bad player. It's not saying that he won't, you know, become a major league baseball player at, at some point in time here. I still young, still think he could be. But, I mean, it's not really the type of guy that I could see headlining a deal at this point in time. And, and one of the other players that I mentioned, another player that they're talking about being blocked, um, is Nick Gonzalez. And for, you know, you uh, fan graph watchers and fans out there, I, I mean, there's all kinds of lists that you could look at. You could look at Baseball America, ESPN, fan graphs, uh, MLB pipeline. I mean, I kind of look at all of them, but in pulling the numbers, it was, it was real easy here is last year, Nick Gonzalez was listed as the number seven prospect within the pirate system. This season, he's number 23. 
And it was something that uh, I had listened to MLB Pipeline podcast had talked about um, during the Arizona Fall League last year. And, you know, Nick Gonzalez was having a, a fairly strong Arizona Fall League for the second year in a row. And one of the things they said was, okay, we saw him have a great Arizona Fall League in 2021. And then he came out, you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start, injury. Uh, down in in Greensboro and then uh, or sorry, injury in Altoona. And it was the same thing as the injury in Greensboro the, the previous year. Uh, and he basically, you know, didn't really see as much. So they were really excited about a, a strong Arizona Fall League in 2021. But in 2022, it, it really didn't move the needle for them as much anymore. And the big thing with Nick Gonzalez is, is the K rate. And he's a guy that, you know, has some pop in his bat, but is also supposed to be like a, a contact hitter that the K rate in AAA this year is just North of 30, which if you're a, a power hitter, if you're a guy that's going to come up and hit, you know, 30 to 40 home runs, then, you know, that's something that could be overlooked. But for a guy sitting right around like six, seven home runs, maybe topping out at 10 to 15 home runs, you're looking for, you know, a a little bit better of the on-base percentage, a little bit, you know, lower of a K rate. He does have the walk rate that's around 11.7. That's, that's really good. But I mean, the slash line right around 250 for an average, 351 for the on base and 421 OPS sitting right around a 775. Like that's not something that, you know, kind of blows the doors off. Uh, It's not something that's going to be, you know, super exciting. Uh, And it's not once again saying he's not going to be a major league player, but I, I don't know if you could look at him as one of those like headlining trade pieces or one of those major pieces within your organization. And for him, the WRC plus, I mean, it's sitting, it's sitting below a hundred. So, I mean, it's below the average, the, the on base percentage in major league baseball. Uh, I think it's around like a, a seven twenty is uh, the average, you know, you're going with, a little bit better, um, but but you're still not getting you know what you would want from him. And and sticking in Indianapolis, a player, I mean, a player that I love and have loved throughout the system, and you know has usually balled out in AAA, been called up to the major leagues, uh, and and just wasn't able to to kind of catch on. But once again, a, a Cal Mitchell, like we talk about, you know, you have these plethora of outfielders, uh, and. Before the season, we talked about have, having a plethora of pitching, and and this one is, in my eyes, has kind of gone a little bit of the same direction. I mean, Jack Swinsky's playing well up there. You're, you're obviously going to have Brian Reynolds, Connor Joe, a couple more years of control, but was hoping that someone like a like a Kanan Smith and Jigba, uh, a Travis Swaggerty, or this guy I'm going to talk about in Cal Mitchell, you know, could have you know kind of you know proved himself a little bit more and has proved himself in triple a previously. He's gotten a little bit hot recently, but still a slash line, 264, 346, 
418, OPS 740, 764. So even a little bit below uh, Nick Gonzalez, uh, very similar WRC plus. He's right around 92, seven home runs. But for him, something that, you know, we really hadn't seen a ton of before. I mean, it's it's been like higher, but he's up over and his exact K rate as Nick Gonzalez and a little bit lower of base on balls. I mean, you're above a, a 30%, you're just above a 10%, but I mean, at that point in time, like I said, you're going to have to be a guy that's going to be having to hit like 30 to 40 home runs, uh, maybe even like 25 home runs to kind of justify that in the major leagues. Uh, and and here's another thing. I mean, this is not playing on this. I mean, there was a good thing that happened in the Pirates minor league system this week, and that was you know, the promotion of Kyle Nicholas to AAA, but even more so the promotion of Anthony Solometto, who is tearing it up in Greensboro, uh, promoted to Altoona, will be starting. I mean, probably when you're listening to this, it's going to be Saturday. He's going to be starting Saturday night. Uh, Kyle Nicholas also going to be starting on Saturday uh, for Indianapolis. So that's something to watch out there for. But, I mean, Kyle Nicholas, 14th-ranked prospect last year, Fangraph, still 14th-ranked. But actually his numbers, I mean, he got kind of, you know, sent back down uh, to double A this year. John Baker, uh, director of uh, players and coaches and the development down there, pretty much the the minor league GM talked about, you know, having guys start out on a, a you know, a lower level to kind of have this be like that ramp to, to kind of move themselves up. Well, you know, he's got a 436 ERA a 1.47 whip, which really isn't great. He was about a 1.30 in double A last year has come on in the strikeout department has uh, 63 strikeouts and in 53 innings has been pitching a little bit better, but it's, it's a guy that, you know, hasn't developed to the degree. So this is like, when we're talking about like players being blocked, I'm like, I really can't see any of these guys are being blocked and I really can't see them being headliners of deals anymore. Uh, and that's where like, if people are saying like the blocked and now it's like to the, it's like, okay, well this guy is just being passed up. And I, I know that a lot of other teams are promoting uh, their players. A lot of other teams are promoting players straight from double a and, and it's frustrating to watch and it's, it's frustrating to kind of see these things happen. I mean, I believe there are some players uh, within the Pirates farm system that should be promoted uh, above the level that they're currently at right now, whether it be from AAA to the majors or, you know, double A AA to AAA, high A uh, to double A. It's things like that. Like there's there's players that I think that are excelling at those levels um, that could kind of be moved up. But it's something that kind of it comes out all the time where it's like automatically when a player gets promoted and, and I want to put these numbers out here just because I I'm, I'm I love doing the player a player B thing. So you have player a 23 years old in double a it's about a year and a half below the average player. Um, he's got 53.1 innings at this time, a 186 ERA in 12 appearances, a 0.881 whip, which would be elite for a closer. <laughs> so it's definitely elite for a starter and 88 strikeouts in those 53.1 innings. 
And if you want to go back to last year, in between high A and double A in 68 innings, had 106 strikeouts, a 1.088 whip, and he had a 291 ERA. So this is a guy that has performed well uh, throughout his entire minor league career. So I, I heard a player for the Pirates, <laughs> player B, was, you know, kind of close. And he is younger. He's 21 years old. So he is about three and a half years below the average age for the level. Has a very solid 223 ERA in 44.1 innings pitched. Has the 1.083 whip. Very, very nice. 47 strikeouts in those 41 innings. I mean, to me, like those players aren't even really comparable, especially when you look back to last year when he had a 1.353 whip and a 462 ERA at the same level as this other guy the year before. Now, you're probably wondering who I'm talking about. I mean, it's for the Pirates, player B, it's Jared Jones, a very solid player, has had a very good run at things. But as soon as like a player, like an Emmett Sheehan, gets promoted by the Dodgers from Double A, we start like making these direct comparisons, you know, to players from other teams. He's just a little bit better right now. I mean, and is there any guaranteed success with Sheehan coming up? To the Dodgers. No. I mean, so I, I it just kind of like to me, it's it's such a goofy conversation to have and, and to get fired up about because it's really not at the same level. I mean, it's to tell you the truth, it's not even really close at this point in time. I mean, you kind of gotta let these guys develop and not everybody follows the same de developmental path and not not everybody's at the same level. And, and I saw the same thing with like a conversation about, and I'm not even going to go player B at this point in time. I mean, it's Quinn Priester. Quinn Priester in, in, in AAA, uh, since he's, you know, kind of turned things around, has a 270 uh, ERA. And, and I wanted to do this because it's almost the same amount of innings as Jared Jones has for the entire season. It's the 43.1 innings, uh, has 37 strikeouts, 20 walks. And the whip is a 1.34, which, I mean, it's it's a decent whip, but it's not saying that he's absolutely tearing up the system. I, it, it just doesn't really make, like, too much sense to me, you know, whatsoever. It, it's a very weird conversation to have. I mean, in my eyes, I mean, I put it there on Twitter today is, you know, if, if a player is ready, like one player I know who's been ready with the bat, and he's been ready with the bat you know, since a couple weeks into the season, I mean, that's Henry Davis. If you want to go ahead and promote Henry Davis from Triple A today, I really wouldn't have a problem with it whatsoever. But I mean, every all these players get kind of like looped into, and like everybody's just like, oh, the, well, if this guy is getting promoted from Double A, our guy should get promoted from Double A. Like that's just not how this works. And, and a player that you know people are saying has gotten hot and should be promoted from Triple A. I'm just going to give you this slash line and you guys can like kind of give me some feedback. Tell me whether or not this is a player, you know, that should be promoted. His slash line is 261, 
320, 304, with a 624 OPS when he's supposedly gotten hot, and a 61 WRC+. And that player is Andy Rodriguez. Like, I just, I mean, I, everybody talks about the Super 2 stuff, and, and it, it could have been about the Super 2 stuff in the beginning. May still be about the Super 2 stuff. I, I mean, I'm really, it's not something that I like, and it's it's something that's out there, but when you have a player that's like hitting that poorly, can you still realistically make that argument? And I mean, on the season, even on the season, he has a 693 OPS and a 76 WRC plus for the season. Is that really like a player that you like should be like beating the drum for and like making all of these arguments that, you know, they're being held down and, and people saying they're ready so then it gets parroted across everywhere that this player is ready. Is he really ready? I mean, I think defensively behind behind the plate, he's he's ahead of, of Henry Davis. I think he could you know benefit from that. He plays a little bit of first base. I think he can play a little bit of second base, a little bit of outfield, but I think they would kind of like like to keep him maybe at only two positions. Um, when he's you know coming up to the major leagues, because if he's going to catch whatsoever, I mean that's going to take up a lot of his time. But it's just a conversation that it's just like okay, like let's sit down and actually look at the numbers. Do I want I, you? Everybody knows that's followed me long enough that I want every single one of these prospects to succeed, and I want to point out when they're doing well. But I also don't want to be blinded by the fact of you know this is who I expected to be here at this certain point in time, and this is a player that you know is still you know a top prospect. So so they would be able to be traded. Like you have to start getting realistic that if you're going to be trading for one of these higher level pitchers that people are mentioning, I mean you better start talking about trading Jared Jones. You, you better start ta- talking about trading. Somebody's going to want an MLB ready, like a, a guy for a guy trade. And you're going to be trading one of Bay Castro or Tucapita Marcano. Like it's not, this isn't a video game people. This isn't where you can say here, take all of our bad players who are supposedly blocked, who are being passed up. You know, we don't really have a spot for them. So why don't you take them? And give us all of your good players. It's not a video game on easy where you can just basically make any trade that you want to fill in the holes, you know, where you want that on the major league roster and just move on. I'm not saying hoard prospects. I'm not saying don't trade prospects, but I'm also not saying that we can trade all these bad guys for all of your good guys. It's just something that absolutely boggles my mind and just makes me absolutely irate because it's not just coming from, you know, Chris always talks about, I get mad at people on Twitter and no, it's coming from people with like actual followings and it's then being parroted and, and people wondering why we're not trading, you know, Leo Pagaro and Kyle Nicholas for, you know, Dylan Cease. Like I don't see that. I don't see the White Sox saying yes to that trade whatsoever on MLB, the show, it's probably a trade that is accepted, by the computer like 10 times out of 10, but this is not a computer situation. This is not the real world. This is the real world here, people. So that's not something that's going to be happening. But I did want to move on to something that I'm going to have some a guest on next week to kind of talk about the Greensboro Grasshoppers a little bit, uh, just to kind of preview that for you guys. 
but even myself, I kind of look at, you know, first national bank field where the Greensboro grasshoppers played. I've talked about it being such a bandbox, and, you know, just looking at the home and road splits and being able to get a, a good picture, you know, they're going to have a favorable time at home and, and then on the road, you know, maybe a little bit of a tougher time. And, and I looked at, you know, some of the teams they play a decent amount of the time. And then also the play, you know, teams in the South Atlantic league who are on the other side, who they may not play as much, uh, but the Aberdeen Ironbirds, Baltimore's, you know, high a team, their dimensions are actually smaller than the band box that exists at first national bank. First national bank, just for your, just for the record has a left field of three fifteen a right field of 312 and a center of 400. The Aberdeen <laughs> Ironbirds play in a left field that's 310, a center that's 400, and a right field that's 310. So that, that's a smaller field. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones have a left field that is equal to that where the Greensboro Grasshoppers play at home. They do have a little bit bigger of a center field, a little, little bit bigger of a right field. But for the most part, like going across the, the, you know, each team and each stadium here, like most of the center fields are around 400. But then like you get into some places like uh, Boston's team, the Greenville Drive, their center field's like 420, but their right field's 302. The left field's 310. Looking down here at the Asheville Taurus, I mean, they have the 400 center field Left field's a little bit bigger at 326. Right field, 297. So it, I, I do see that there are some places um, that usually have like a, a very similar one. I'd say that most of them are kind of like the uh, Hudson Valley uh, and then the Jersey uh, Shore Blue Claws, um, where it's like the center field 400, left field 325, right field 425. So there are some that exist within that, but I don't think it's as simple. I, and again, like Bowling Green, 318 down left field, like 318 to 315, you know, not that much of a difference. So I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into this a little bit more. I just wanted to kind of throw out some of these numbers to you guys uh, before we bring uh, the guest on that I bring the guest on that I'm going to bring on. Uh, for next week, but I just wanted to to kind of throw out some of those numbers to see, like, I, I might have to break down like where they're playing and like use like the band boxes. So that's gonna be a little bit more work for me, but the band boxes versus the you know more normal size stadiums to try to see if, you know, there is a, a little bit of a discrepancy there of what we've been looking at before. And more than that, it's just because I want to see Chung Si Chang uh, playing in Altoona. So I just want to see how he hits in Altoona and, and not have that discussion anymore. But for everybody, here comes the music. You know what we're doing now. Since the Pirates were playing the Cubs, I tried to procure a a variety pack of Laguanitas. Hopefully, I will be able to get that at some point in time. But where I went to buy it at that time was only taking cash because the credit cards and the debit card things were down. 
didn't have an ATM, wasn't able to get that. So I had to go next door, got some Boulevard Brewing Company that is from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I've had some of their beers before, but I didn't have this series. Very cool, very, very cool series. It's called the the Space Camper Series. They have a Cosmic IPA. They have the Red Spectra IPA and the Alpha Vapor. That's a nebulous IPA. The red one, obviously, is a red IPA. All of these, the Cosmic IPA coming in at 5.9%, the red coming in at 5.7%, the Alpha coming in at 5.9%. Uh, for me, everyone knows the Alpha is probably going to be my favorite because that's one that has more of like the hazy tropical stuff. That one for me coming in at about a 425, adjusted to 375, not huge on the red IPA. So that one's about a 375, knock that down to a 325. And their Cosmic one, that one's pretty good. Uh, I would put that one kind of right in the middle, the 400 Uh and put that down to about a 350. But what I've been sipping on today, and I'm trying to get a gauge on this one. And this is a shout out uh, to uh, to Jim Stam over at uh, DK uh, Pittsburgh Sports. The the Pirates Fan Forum does it with my my good friend Gary Morgan over there. And we always talk about the the icy light mango. And I'm drinking an icy light mango here today. And I gotta tell you something. Drinking an icy light mango at a, at the stadium, at the ballpark, with the Pirates playing, I think that maybe enhances the drinking experience a little bit more too, because, I mean, as I take a sip of this now, it's still very good, still a delicious beer. I don't want to talk crap on the mango whatsoever. I really don't want to, but I got to do a stadium versus a home test here. The stadium, it's probably in my eyes, like around like a 400, 350. I will drink that beer every single time I go to PNC Park. At home, I don't know. I'd probably say a, a 325, drop it down to a 275. And I hate to talk bad about the mango, but I kind of have to. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it just really doesn't have. It's kind of like you have a, the ballpark hot dog at the ballpark, and then you have that same hot dog at home. Like it just drops it down so many points, but until next week, guys, let's go Indians. Let's go curve. Let's go hoppers. Let's go Marauders, FCL pirates, DSL uh, pirates. Uh, Let's go bucks.